This show is made possible by members and donors who sign up at bestoftheleft.com and also by gotomeeting.com green technology helping reduce the need for business travel. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, Richard Dawkins, The David Pakman Show, The Daily Show, and The Tom Hartman Program with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. participate in polls. If my opinion is so important, why are they asking all those other people who don't have TV shows? <laughs> Nevertheless, there are some polls that are too important to ignore, or at least 75% of me feels that way. <laughs> so it's time for the first installment of my long-running series, Stephen Colbert's Stat of the Union. Nation, I've had a long-running beef with atheists. What fun is there telling people that are going to hell if they don't believe in it? <laughs> and there's new evidence that these prey holes are trying to undermine America's God-fearing Americans. Jim? You may consider yourself a person of faith, but do you really know God? The Pew Research Center actually found that most Americans failed a quiz asking some of the most basic questions about religion. And get this, atheists and agnostics did better than Catholics and evangelicals. Well, that's not fair. <laughs> For one thing, agnostics don't have to make up their minds. They can just circle all the answers at once. Well, I call papal bull on this poll. This Pew Research quiz was biased because it expects Christians to know about religions other than Christianity. I mean, just look at these actual questions. What is Ramadan? I don't know. Some new flavor of cup of noodles? The point is, it's insensitive to ask that question so close to 9-11. Why and why should I know some obscure fact about Islam anyway? We're at war with those people. Meanwhile, there isn't a single question about Naga Panchami, the Hindu festival of bathing snakes and milk, which takes place on the fifth day of the bright half of the Shravan, one of the nine most important Angas of Bhakti. That's just Upanayana Sanskrit 101. But this poll is ultimately meaningless because unlike atheists, I don't question my religion. I don't need to know what it says in an old book written by some know-it-all. I have faith. This whole thing reminds me of Jesus' parable of the mustard seed and the prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Passed down to us in Paul's letter to the editor. In it, Jesus and his apostles, Kramer and Newman, must collect bottles and drive to Michigan in a mail truck to take advantage of the higher deposit fee. Then Moses raises his hands and separates the plastic from the glass, clearing a path for the Israelites to walk to Applebee's and make the desert bloom with onions. Amen. The Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life indicates 
that agnostics and atheists know more about religion than those who are part of a major religion like Christianity or Catholicism. Oh, of course, of course. You know, people don't know what's in their religion. You know, and this survey shows it perfectly. You'll ask them simple questions. What's the first book in the Bible? Well, I don't know. Okay. Why they never read the Bible? Do you know how I, I'm agnostic, and I always tell people, read the Bible. Read the Bible. You might be surprised at what's in it. Mm -hmm. they, they only hear what their preacher told them, or their pastor, or their priest, or whatever, and they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah Jesus loves rich people, and he hates gays. No, 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 that's not true. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And here's a survey, and it shows that agnostics and atheists know the Bible better than Christians do. Right. And well, look, and by the way, that makes sense. You know why? It does. Because they looked at it and, and, and actually studied it before they rejected it. Exactly. A lot of people who follow these major religions, they're either born into it or they have family members that believe in it. So what they'll go ahead and believe those religions without questioning it, right? Whereas agnostics and atheists, they want to understand the religion. So they'll go and read the Bible or they'll look into the religion in question and they'll decide whether or not they're buying it. Right. So yes, it does make perfect sense. Well, and I think it's troublesome that we have a massive population in the United States that follows a religion without knowing at all what the religion stands for. Right. And you know, it's a cultural thing for a lot of people, and I get it. And so Ben on the program always used to say when I went off on religion, hey, Jake, look, a lot of people don't even know what's in it. So you're attacking people for reasons they don't even understand. And so I, I'm in favor of education. I'm in favor of, hey, you know what? If you're going to be Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whatever, read whatever your texts are. And, and then if you still buy into it, God bless you. Okay? But at least know what you're talking about. Because a lot of people are doing terrible things in your name through that religion. Right? And some of people are doing fantastic things. Don't forget, Martin Luther King was a deeply religious man. Right? So it's got its good and its bad. But you've got to be familiar with it. And, and a lot of people aren't. And I'll tell you. My dad and I did the same thing. First, we read the Quran, right, separately and at different times. And at the, by the end, you're like, kind of interesting. Doesn't seem to make too much sense. So then we went back and read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. And by the end of reading all those books, we had the same reaction. No, not buying it. Mm -hmm. This doesn't make any sense. Why should I sprinkle goat blood in the middle of the temple? What? what why did God did God didn't realize we wouldn't be doing animal sacrifices later? Okay, I remember what broke my the camel's back for me. It was a story of the Tower of Babel. It wasn't the shrimp story. No, although the shrimp story was damaging. I was like, wait a minute now. In Leviticus, you know, it says uh, you shall not lie with another man. That's pretty clear. But it also says you shouldn't eat shellfish. How can we totally ignore that? I went through this whole thing. I did. Right. And then I read the Tower of Babel. You know, you know what happens there? No. Oh, and you're not alone? I'm sure most Christians don't know what happens there, right? So here's what happens. People work together and they build this tower, the Tower of Babel, right? Mm -hmm. And it's lovely and it almost reaches the heavens. You know what happens? God gets pissed. And he's like, how dare you try to reach the heavens? I am so much more of a badass than you are, right? So he comes and he knocks down the tower, okay? Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't, you know, they weren't... <laughs> they didn't build a golden calf. They weren't having sex in the tower. I mean, if you consider those things wrong. They didn't, do, they didn't kill anybody. They didn't rob anybody. They worked together. God knocks it down and then says, all right, I don't want you guys working together anymore because then you might, because I'm jealous and you might challenge my power. So I'm going to have you speak different languages. Mm -hmm. And that's why Babel is like babbling, right? And, and that's the story in the Bible of how we all speak different languages because God got mad that we might work together. 
As soon as I read that story, I closed up the Bible and I was and the Quran and everything else because you know the Quran is the third book. It's, according to Muslims, it's Old Testament, New Testament, the Quran. I closed them all up and I put them away and I said, "I'm done. End of this." Okay. And I'm going to attack it. <laughs> I'm going to attack it. And and you know what I did? I went to a party. And now remember, at the time, I'm Muslim, not drinking. I went to a party, and I said, somebody get me a beer. Okay? Because that ain't true. If Because if that's God, then he's against us. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm for more people working together. So I'm not in favor of that guy. Read the Bible. Read the Quran. Read your religious texts. And obviously, according to the survey, you don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that there's a lesson to be learned from the story of Babel. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the story is don't take shortcuts. Mm -hmm. Okay, you gotta you gotta go through all the difficult things to make it to heaven. You can't walk the stairs or take the elevator to heaven. <laughs> okay, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know what the thing is? Mm -hmm. Religious folks they'll believe that, and they'll believe other explanations. They say, oh no no, it was hubris. You know they thought oh how they're gonna reach. God, how, how dare they? Don't they know God is so much stronger than they are? Mm -hmm. God will wreck your stuff up. Okay, you see, I pulled it back a little bit. Okay, he'll wreck your stuff up if he thinks you're getting close to him. Mm -hmm. Right? So th there's a million explanations and rationalizations for everything. But it's okay as long as, you know, you, you've read it and you're, you know, you've got knowledge on it and then you want to make your rationalizations. Hey, it's a free country. God bless your heart. Uh, interesting fact is how. Uh, what order did the different religions come in? So atheists and agnostics did the best. Out of 32 questions, they got 21 uh, correct answers, and the questions were in uh, order of difficulty, right? Um, interestingly, Jews and Mormons came in second with 20 accurate responses. Protestants, uh, oh, they only got 16 right. They were significantly lagging. And at the bottom were Catholics with 15%, apparently not knowing much about their own religion. Okay, so just so you know how the order is then. There'll come a judgment day, good Lord, where me and God and Jesus will decide. If we'll let you into heaven or damn you down to hell, so you might just want to stay on my good side. In the Old Testament, God must have meant only some of the things that he wrote down. But if you want to know, What'll get you sent below? Just check with me, I've got it figured out. Christmas suicides come earlier every year. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. A report released today expects a sharp increase in Christmas-related suicides even earlier this year, beginning immediately after Halloween. This kind of surge has traditionally been a post-Thanksgiving phenomenon, but now more and more people begin killing themselves before the pumpkins begin to rot. Catherine DeGrasse led the study. By beginning the Christmas advertising season prematurely, retailers are, are actually sending more and more people to an early death. DeGrasse hopes to complete another study linking ethnic cleansing and genocide to St. Patrick's Day by the end of the year. Doyle Redwood for the Onion. If you're like most Americans, you're dreading the idea of traveling to be with those you love this holiday season, knowing that this time spent watching your children form memories that will last a lifetime is keeping you from the important sales presentations that really matter. With GoToMeeting, you can give an engaging presentation by showing your desktop via the internet to clients and colleagues. 
The software installs quickly and is so easy and effective that your meeting will be wrapped up before the tryptophan has a chance to take effect. Visit gotomeeting.com and use the promo code PODCAST to try unlimited meetings for 45 days. That's gotomeeting.com promo code PODCAST for this special free 45-day trial. I was at first as outraged as everybody else by the Pope's opening remarks as soon as he landed in Edinburgh, blaming atheists for the atrocities of Hitler and the others of the 20th century. But then I took comfort from it because it seemed to me that in a way it was showing that we had rattled them so much that he was forced to the ignominious expedient of attacking us so as to divert attention from the real crimes that had been committed in the name of the Catholic Church. I can just imagine I can just imagine the, the discussions in the corridors of Vatican power. How are we going to distract them from buggering boys? And the answer came, why don't we attack secularists? Why don't we attack atheists? Why don't we blame them for Hitlerism? Hitler, Adolf Hitler, was a Roman Catholic. He was baptized, he never renounced his baptism. The figure of five million British Catholics is presumably obtained from baptismal figures. I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe there are five or six million British Catholics. There may be five or six million who have been baptized, but if the church wants to claim them as Catholics, then they have to claim Hitler as a Catholic. At very least, Hitler believed in a personified providence. He often spoke of it, and it was presumably the same providence that was invoked by the Cardinal Archbishop of Munich in 1939, when Hitler escaped assassination and the Cardinal ordered a special Te Deum in Munich Cathedral, quote, to thank divine providence in the name of the Archdiocese for the Führer's fortunate escape. I'm going to read a speech made in Munich, the heart of Catholic Bavaria, in 1922, and I leave you to guess whose speech it is. My feeling as a Christian points me to my Lord and Saviour as a fighter. It points me to the man who once in loneliness, surrounded by a few followers, recognized these Jews for what they were and summoned men to fight against them, and who, God's truth, was greatest not as a sufferer, but as a fighter. In boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passage which tells how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers and adders. How terrific was his fight against the Jewish poison. Today, after 2,000 years, with deepest emotion, I recognize more profoundly than ever before the fact that it was for this that he had to shed his blood upon the cross. 
That was one of numerous speeches by Adolf Hitler, passages in Mein Kampf, where Adolf Hitler invoked his own Roman Catholic Christianity. No wonder he received such warm support from within the Catholic hierarchy of Germany. Even if Hitler had been an atheist, as Stalin more surely was, how dare Ratzinger suggest that atheism has any connection whatsoever with their horrific deeds? Any more, any more than Hitler's and Stalin's non-belief in leprechauns or unicorns, any more than their sporting a moustache along with Franco and Saddam Hussein, there is no logical pathway from atheism to wickedness. Unless, that is, unless you are steeped in the vile obscenity at the heart of Catholic theology. I refer to the doctrine of original sin. These people believe, and they teach this to tiny children, at the same time as they teach them the terrifying falsehood of hell, that every baby is born in sin. That would be Adam's sin, by the way. Adam, who as they themselves now admit, never actually existed. Original sin means that from the moment we are born, we are wicked, corrupt, damned, unless we believe in their God, or unless we fall for the carrot of heaven and the stick of hell. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the disgusting theory that leads them to presume that it was godlessness that made Hitler and Stalin the monsters that they were. We are all monsters unless redeemed by Jesus. What a revolting, depraved, inhuman theory to base your life on. Joseph Ratzinger is an enemy of humanity. He's an enemy of children whose bodies he's allowed to be raped and whose minds he is encouraged to be infected with guilt. It's embarrassingly clear that the church is less concerned with saving child bodies from rapists than with saving priestly souls from hell, and most concerned with saving the long-term reputation of the church itself. He's an enemy of gay people bestowing on them the sort of bigotry that his church used to reserve for Jews before 1962. He's an enemy of women, barring them from the priesthood as though a penis were an essential tool for pastoral duties. He's an enemy of truth, promoting barefaced lies about condoms not protecting against AIDS, especially in Africa. He's an enemy of the poorest people on the planet, condemning them to inflated families that they cannot feed, and so keeping them in the bondage of perpetual poverty. A poverty which sits ill beside the obscene wealth of the Vatican. He's an enemy of science, obstructing vital stem cell research on grounds not of true morality, but of pre-scientific superstition.
Ratzinger is even an enemy, he's even an enemy of the Queen's own church. Arrogantly dissing Anglican orders as, quote, absolutely null and utterly void, while at the same time shamelessly trying to poach Anglican vicars to shore up his own pitifully declining priesthood. Finally, perhaps of most personal concern to me, Ratzinger is an enemy of education. Quite apart from the, quite apart from the lifelong psychological damage caused by the guilt and fear that have made Catholic education infamous throughout the world, he and his church foster the educationally pernicious doctrine that evidence is a less reliable basis for belief than faith, tradition, revelation, and authority. His authority. The science is the product of the renal purpose And the theologian told me that it's all been designed And now I'm trying to maintain objectivity The world wants illuminate what really matters And I'm in a perfect mortal meaning extractor Processing the complexity Born of the earth CNN is going to do a report about honor killings in India. It's clip number two, uh, and it's disastrous as usual. And every single time, this makes my blood boil. Let's watch. 27-year-old Renu never thought love could lead to death, but it did for her 20-year-old brother, Yogesh Kumar, and the girl who loved him. I feel like everything has been killed. Nothing is left in my life, she says. Police say in this Delhi home, Kumar and 19-year-old Asha Saini were tortured to death, beaten for hours, and electrocuted. Neighbor Umesh Kumar says he heard it all happening. So you actually heard beating? How long did that go on? It continued for an hour and a half to two hours, he said. Then we heard the boy say, please leave me, I'll never come back here again. And the girl said, leave him alone, kill me instead. Neighbors and police say the girl was pleading with her own family. Asha's father and uncle were swiftly arrested. On their way into the police station, her uncle told reporters, We killed them because we were against their relationship. If someone comes to your house to meet your niece at midnight, what more do you do? Asha's family felt her relationship with Kumar would bring shame on the family because he was from a lower caste, and they had already promised her to another man. In one week in June, police were investigating five similar cases, including a gruesome case in a village where police say their video shows two young lovers who they believe were killed, then strung up afterwards to send a message about defying the rules of tradition. Anytime that somebody tells you about honor killings, you can, it's a near, well, it's not a near guarantee, it's an absolute guarantee that there will be nothing honorable about it. So why do they kill them? because they bring shame on the family by being with a lower caste. Can you imagine anything more despicable than killing your own daughter because you think she was with someone that was lower than you? Well, I got news for you. There's no one lower than you. 
You're the lowest scum on earth. To kill your own child like that? You see that uncle? Well, somebody came to see my niece at midnight. Well, what else can we do? Yeah, you know what? I got about a million other options other than killing them, torturing them, and killing them. Look, this is why part of the reason why we fight against fundamentalist religion. Because once you go outside the bounds of rationality and logic, you get into this. Now, this happens to be uh, this particular culture about Hinduism. Now, I'm not saying it's all Hindus, obviously. These are extreme cases. But it is a fundamentalist interpretation of that, where they think, well, if you're with another caste, well, higher caste we can live with. Okay, those people are better than us. But lower caste, those people are worse than us. So if you're with them, the only honorable thing to do is to murder you. There's nothing honorable about that. It's despicable. And that's why the world should be run on logic and reason and not on old superstitions, no matter what they are and where they come from and what religion they're attached to. As always, I am sickened by what I see here. And unfortunately, there's so many of these honor killings, actually in many different cultures throughout the world. It's, it couldn't be more repulsive. Speaking of, of separations that really go uh, into differences between one culture and another, did you hear about this United Arab Emirates ruling that says you can beat your wife and child as long as there's no marks left? I did not hear about this. It's, it's amazing. I mean, this is an example of, this is, this is beating your wife in God's name, is it not? The, the, these, these determinations are being made based on what is permitted under Islamic law. It is an example of using God's name to beat your wife. Is it? Yeah. How, how, how is it not? I don't know much about it. Is it, I mean, is it like a religious ruling? Or? It is. The United Arab Emirates court says a man is permitted under Islamic law under to physically Islamic discipline law. his wife and children as long as there are no, no marks left, and he has to have tried other methods of punishment. So there's the key word, Islamic, Islamic law. That's absolutely right. And the, I mean, come, come on. I, I would not, you know, this is the type of thing that makes me just not want to uh, step foot in uh, uh, all of the great things that are going on in those parts of the world and fascinating things that I would be interested in visiting. How can I, in, in good conscience, go and, and support something like that in, in some way? Now, I know I'm going to get emails from people saying, wait a second, but by living in the U.S., you are also supporting a lot of the racist things that go on in the U.S., so on and so forth. We're talking very specifically about a, a, uh, um, a system of law here that is, that is saying it's okay to beat your wife as long as you don't leave marks. I mean, how would they even know the woman had marks if they're completely covered in a burqa? Good point. Um, it's, uh, it's gonna, these guys are going to have to come up with some pretty clever ways to, uh, to beat their wives and children. I mean, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking. I can't, I really feel for the, the women and children that are there, and they, they essentially but, have... But what was the law before? I mean, maybe this is an upgrade. Maybe this no, is an this, improvement. This no? is just, I, I don't, this wasn't new law. This was just a specific case that came up, and the ruling came down on the side of the wife beater because of Islamic law.
So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55 a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. His new book is called The Moral Landscape, How Science Can Determine Human Values. Please welcome to the program, Sam Harris. Sir! How are you? Uh, uh, I'm good. It's, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, the, the Moral Landscape, How Science Can Determine Human Values. Uh, is, is that... Is the idea that uh, scientists, you're not talking about uh, gene therapy for moral values or, or giving us, you're talking about quantifying moral values somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, first let me say, I think the biggest challenge we're facing is uh, finding some way to create a global civilization based on shared values. I and mean, we have to converge on the same kinds of economic and political and social goals at some point. And we have to... Uh, begin giving similar answers to the most important questions in human life. And the only way forward I see to do that is to begin to talk about morality and human values very much in the context of our growing scientific understanding of ourselves and the world. We have a problem. We have a kind of intellectual and moral emergency where the only people on the planet at this moment who think there are truly right answers to moral questions are religious demagogues who think the universe is 6,000 years old. Everyone else seems to think that there's something suspect about the concept of moral truth and th there's no there's no Not there there scientifically. Do they think it's suspect or do they think it's always just kind of a, a cost-benefit analysis or not suspect but complex? Well, it, it is, it, granted it's complex. I mean, what, morality and, and value clearly relates to human and animal well-being and, and our well-being emerges out of the laws of nature. It depends on the way the universe is. So it's, it's fantastically complex. I mean, human well-being relates to right. genetics and neurobiology and psychology and sociology and economics and everything that can possibly influence states of the human brain. But all of these domains fall within the purview of science. I mean, these are not, this is not, um, there's this idea that, that, that you have the important questions in human life over here right. that are based on values that, that come from religion, but there's this domain of facts over here that, that science can treat, and there's a, a gulf between them. Are you saying that morality right? cannot come from uh, religion, or that it is mathematically inferior to other morality which comes from, let's say, long division? Uh, <laughs> well... And by the it, way, I'm not sure I understood it, that. It, <laughs> so feel, feel free to just turn your head quizzically like okay. a collie looks at a fan. Yeah. Um, I think in the best case, religion gives people bad reasons to be good where good reasons are actually available. And in the worst case, it separates 
moral thinking from the actual details of human and animal suffering. So you, you have an institution like the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is more concerned about preventing contraception than preventing child rape. It's more concerned about preventing gay marriage than genocide. And this, is, this is not my opinion of the Catholic Church. This is just as based on its doctrine and its actions in the world. Right. And when you see but them, that's not that that is a a, a human interpretation of Scripture, not uh, well. I mean, the, the Scripture is is. Uh, a, a real mixed bag. I mean, if you want to talk about getting our, our wisdom from Scripture, the God of Abraham gets slavery wrong. I mean, slavery is probably the easiest moral question we've ever had to face. Mm -hmm. And if this book was written by an omniscient deity who's the true source of moral wisdom in this universe, it should at least get the question of whether it's right to own people and treat them like farm equipment. Right. It doesn't get that question right. It's, 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 it, the God of Abraham clearly expects us to keep slaves. Uh, so that's a, that's a that's a problem. That's a non-starter for That's, you, as it were. Yeah, well, it, so the it, slavery thing, so even afterwards when he's like, Ed, we should really feed the poor, in your mind you're like, eh, the slavery thing negates the entire... The, the, we could, anyone in this room could improve the Ten Commandments in, in five seconds. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, well, you'd make them easier to carry around. So. <laughs> I think an omniscient God would be like, an omniscient God would be like, Moses is an old Jew, let's make this out of styrofoam, let's help this guy out. You know, you're giving this guy rocks coming down a mountain. Who knows what he's going to break? And he broke them. Exa that's, yeah, exactly, exactly. that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, but is it... Let, so how do you mathematically quantify, all right, the Taliban? Right. I can objectively look at their morality in terms of what they do to women and say, that is wrong. But where do you... How do I mathematically... Yeah, okay. make that case because well, well, you are talking about quantifying something. Yeah, well, well the, the problem is, is that most people in science seem to think you actually you, there's no place to stand within science to say that's wrong. But that there's this intuition that that something has happened in the last 200 years of intellectual progress which has made it difficult to say that the Taliban is really wrong in in their treatment of women. And what I'm saying is, the moment you realize that the only way to to ask whether it's good for women to be forced to wear burqas is to wonder whether it's good for, for human flourishing on any level. I mean, does it make more compassionate men or more confident women? Does it improve relationships between men and, men and women? And uh, what I'm saying is that we know at this moment in, in human history that the answer to that question is no. And but to, they, to it, doubt this scientifically right. is, is to pretend that we know nothing about human well-being. Isn't the difficulty of that, though, when you're in a situation like they're in? Don't we see these situations arising in failed states where yeah. the people there are suffering terribly to begin with, and they almost make a Faustian bargain to some extent. They say, these people are, they're uh, uh, aggressive and fascistic in this sense, but they are bringing order to us. And for that order, we're, is, aren't they making a cost-benefit analysis for themselves as well? Well, yeah, there are situations where, yeah, when states fail, the first order of business is to get some security. but. We can understand. There's there so many ways to do that that are objectively terrible. I mean, terrible in the sense that people are suffering needlessly, mm -hmm. and we can understand this at the level of the brain. We can understand at the level of society. And I'm saying that that this is not a no-go area for science. This is uh, a science of the human mind will understand how human communities flourish, and and uh, it's a myth that that uh, uh, we can't get there through science. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I guess the real message from this book is, get off your ass, scientists. That it, it is. Would yes. that be, would that yes. be a, a, a working title, perhaps? I should, I should, it would have been a good subtitle, yes. 
The Moral Landscape, it really is a great read and, and a lot of very interesting questions that uh, come out of it. Sam Harris, thanks yeah. very much Thank for being here. Thank you so much. Glenn Beck. Now, it's not a clip this time. It's funny enough, it's Dana Milbank from the Washington Post, who is another one of those guys who's pretty much an establishment writer. Uh, he's been doing some research and, and a book as well uh, on Beck, and uh, he nails it here. Uh, he found references that Glenn Beck kept doing that actually have some past, some history that we don't know about. They're actually code words, okay? Now, at first, when I read the first paragraph, I was like, really, code words, etc." Now, I'm, we're going to show you at least two of the quotes here, and you'll see for yourself. First, let's go to Glenn Beck. He, uh, this was when he first c came on a Fox News channel. Uh, he was talking to Bill O'Reilly on November 14th of 2008, and he said, We're at a place where the Constitution hangs in the balance. I feel the Constitution is hanging in the balance right now, hanging by a thread unless the good Americans wake up. Now, if you don't know anything about Mormon ideology, you think that's the most normal quote you've ever seen in your life. Like, I don't agree with them, and he's got this bizarre ideology on the Constitution that isn't backed up by the law, by the Supreme Court, or by anybody else who's ever studied it. But okay, it's hanging by a thread. But it turns out, this is why Beck says over and over again, that wasn't the only time, he's had Orrin Hatch on his program, and over and over, they both say, and Milbank has the quotes, hanging by a thread, hanging by a thread, hanging by a thread, the Constitution. Now let's go to Brigham Young's quote from 1855, okay? Now this is not just a random quote, this is one of those defining quotes, apparently in Mormon ideology, and that people who are Mormons know about this. I'm not Mormon, I didn't know that this was one of the things that they believed. So, Brigham Young, Young said, quote, When the Constitution of the United States hangs, as it were, upon a single thread, they will have to call the Mormon elders to save it from utter destruction, and they will step forth and do it. And apparently, it, Mormon leaders throughout the times have constantly gone back to the same phrasing. When the Constitution hangs by a thread, they will come in and save the day. It's called the white horse uh, prophecy, okay? And the elders of the Mormon church will ride in on the white horses. Now, of course, Glenn Beck is a Mormon convert. So he's basically doing what they call a dog whistle to the Morgan, Mormon leadership and other Mormons saying, this is the time, this is the time when the Constitution is hanging by a thread. Bring out the white horse. And probably in Glenn Beck's view of things, he'll jump on and ride it off into the sunset and save the country. You know, look, there's two things here. One, the guy is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay? He's picturing white horses coming in on clouds, okay? I mean, number two, you get a sense of why he keeps talking about the Constitution when if you actually cared about the Constitution, 
you would have been livid during the Bush administration. They absolutely shredded the Fourth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment and large parts of the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments. But no, it wasn't hanging by a thread then. Now we've got an absurd theory about the Tenth Amendment, which the Supreme Court has decided over and over again is not relevant in any of the ways that Glenn Beck talks about. But it's hanging by a thread why the Mormons have to come and save the day, led by Glenn Beck. Number three is, hey, those evangelical Protestants throughout the country, do you like this white horse theory? Do you think that that's how it's going to play out where the Mormon elders come and save the country? You know who else is a Mormon elder? Well, he's not an elder, to be fair. He's a Mormon, and he's got some seniority. Mitt Romney. Does he come in on the white horse? Let's see how that plays out. That's going to be fun. It's The Onion Radio News. God is diagnosed with bipolar disorder. This is Doyle Redland reporting. After a diagnosis that explains the confusing and contradictory aspects of the cosmos, the Lord God, creator of the universe and popular longtime deity to billions of followers, was found to suffer from bipolar disorder today. Reverend Dr. J. Henry Jurgens. Sadly, he's not in control of his actions, but he is in control of ours. Jurgens plans to form a support group living with a bipolar creator deity as a forum for all of humanity to discuss their feelings about living in a universe right by an omnipresent loved one not fully in control of his emotions. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News, online at When you look at the issues that conservatives bring up, things like gay marriage or, or you know, God or creationism, things like that, they have to do with belief. They have to do with what should be private behaviors. Conservatives get very, very upset about private behavior. Now, there's a reason for this. And the reason is that most conservatives take literally, and again, I don't know if this is the way that people are born, the way they're raised, or, or the way that they simply choose to believe. But they take literally the part of Genesis where it says that everybody is basically born in sin because Eve sinned. I remember years ago I was down in Bogota, Colombia, and the Catholic Church down there had offered us some land down in Medellin for a, uh, for a, uh, a, a community, I guess would be the right word, and school for the street children. 
And we had gone down to Medellin and looked at the property that the that the church was offering us, and it had been pretty badly shot up. the The local uh, local rebels. There was a big insurgency going on. Plus, there was a battle with the the uh, cocaine di- lords, and several of the priests and nuns had been murdered. And so we decided it was just too dangerous. And so I'm back in Bogota, and I'm there with this woman, Elizabeth Blinken, who is a German who is working with Salem International, the International Relief Agency I was working with. And we went to talk to the Archbishop of, of Bogota. Now, this guy's a very powerful guy. He owns the biggest radio station, the biggest television station, and the major newspaper in Bogota, the Catholic Church. And we were informed before we went in to see him that Elizabeth was not allowed to speak to him because she was a woman. I was the one who had to speak to him. So we went. We waited three hours past our appointment time. We finally went in to see him. He's sitting on this giant throne, this gilt, gold-gilded throne. And I said, you know, thank you very much for the land. We appreciate it, but, you know, but crack, 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 but, but we're not going to be able to take it. And he was like, well, that's fine. You know, it's a, and Elizabeth, who had been working in Bogota for t- two or three years with the street children, and uh, this, there's a neighborhood in downtown Bogota. It's like a, about a mile square that the kids have literally taken over. They call them Las, las Gaminas, the, 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 the little animals. People go down there, teenage groups and young men, form hunt clubs. There are actually hunt clubs with names like Las Casadores. And they've got jackets and logos and buttons and, and caps. They're hunt teams and they go down into this neighborhood with, with rifles and hunt children for sport. And these kids are they're living this, this god-awful Peter Pan, Lord of the Flies life. And people have, uh, when somebody has a baby that they don't want, they take it down and they leave it in that area, thinking and hoping that the children will raise the child. But in fact, what they do is they make them into soup. I mean, you can Google this stuff, right? This is a problem, by the way, not just in Bogota. It's in many big cities around the world. So anyhow, uh, Elizabeth is just busting at the seams because she's been working with these kids and it's making her crazy. And finally, as I'm about to finish, she says, uh, Your Holiness, may I, may I say something? And he turns to her with a rather disdainful look and says, Yes. And she says, Would you consider telling the pharmacists in Bogota that they will not go to hell if they sell birth control devices? Just the pharmacists. Because birth control was not illegal in Bogota, which is very hard to find, because people were afraid of selling it because they didn't want to go to hell. And he went nuts. He, this, was, this was about 20 years ago. He went totally nuts. He started pounding on his throne with his left hand, and with his right hand, he was jabbing me in the chest and shouting at me. He wouldn't talk to her. Shouting at me. This, women know when they're fertile and when they're not. They don't need that stuff. This is all the fault of women. If Eve hadn't eaten the apple, we wouldn't have these problems in the world. It's, it all goes back to that first woman. And, and he's just going on and on and on about this. He was, you know, he had veins popping out in his neck and his forehead, and I'm backing out as fast as I can. Elizabeth is running for the door. That's the conservative worldview. We're all evil, and, we, and therefore we all need salvation. And, and therefore, because we're all evil, we've got to watch out for people's behavior. And the corollary to that is there are a few people who are saved. There are a few people who are who have risen above their own intrinsic evil, who have overcome the curse of Eve. And so they're the ones that we should make leaders. 
Now, the question becomes, how do you know who those people are? Well, you know, in some religions, you join, you join a church, you work your way up through the ranks, you become a priest or a minister or a mullah or whatever, and that's proof that you are worthy of being a leader. That's how Iran runs, for example. That's how theocrats would like America to run. That's how the state of Massachusetts was run until it became until it joined the United States. It was essentially a theocracy. Then John Calvin came along from the United Kingdom, and he said, I know a way to prove that some people are blessed by God, whereas others aren't. And that way is, look at who has the money. The rich people, obviously, they wouldn't be rich if God didn't love them. And the poor people, obviously, are still sinners. And that, and, and that you know, his religion called Calvinism has just, you know, swept the, uh, you know, America and the United Kingdom. And it's really the, the worldview of conservatives. Now, liberals, on the other hand, say, no, no, we're all born good. That was a metaphor in Genesis. People, people are certainly, you know, it's entirely fine. If they want to become Christian, they want to accept Jesus, they want to say that they're saved, that, you know, that they're going to go. But that doesn't mean that in political behavior they're going to be evil. We're all, as human beings, just like every other animal on earth. Why would every other animal be good except humans? And we're evil. So liberals say, no, humans are good too. This was the basis of the Enlightenment. Thomas Hobbes in the 1630s in Leviathan wrote about how people were evil. And, and 20 years later, 30 years later, um, John Locke, in his second treatise on government, wrote just the opposite. said, no, people are good. And then 20 years after that, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, this was all in the 1600s. By the 1680s, you had the Enlightenment going full tilt boogie, arguing people are so good that they can govern themselves. We don't need no stinking kings. And that laid the foundation for democracy, which laid the foundation for this nation, which was founded in the liberal enlightenment tradition of the belief that people are good. And that's why liberals don't much care about what people do in private, because they'll do whatever they do in private. What, who's having sex with whom doesn't matter, unless it's, you know, unless it's your kid or something. Obviously, you know, there's obvious exceptions. But they do care about what's happening in public, because that's what we should all be worried about. Is there food for everyone? Is there health care for everyone? Is there education for everyone? Are there homeless people among us? If there are homeless people among us, if there are hungry people among us, if there are people who are sick and not treated, if there are people in prison unjustly, then we cannot call ourselves a moral society. And that's the fundamental difference between liberal and conservative morality. And you will see it in every election and in every case over and over and over again. And, it's not, and this is not a knock, by the way, on conservative morality, because it's entirely appropriate to be concerned about you know personal behavior it's entirely appropriate and good but to turn it into a political issue no i don't think so i got eyes in the back of my head your halo is turning red you can support this podcast at no additional cost yourself when you shop at amazon through a special widget posted at bestoftheleft.com you can use the widget to search for what you're looking for or simply click through and shop the site normally Better yet, click through on the widget once and bookmark that page to use every single time you shop. By doing this, Amazon will donate around 7 or 8% of the cost of your order to support this show without adding a dime to your bill. It's very little effort on your part, but can make a huge difference to support the show. Check out the widget on the right side of bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
Tim LaHaye, he's an evangelical Christian minister. He's actually one of the guys who not only uh, co-founded the Moral Majority, but he's the guy who wrote all, uh, all the books about how you get sucked up into the sky. Now, that's not necessarily in the Bible, they just, it's his interpretation of it, and he got all these evangelicals throughout the decades to believe, yeah, I don't know, Jesus is going to come with a vacuum. And when he does, and, and let me be more specific, that's the guys who think, oh, I'm going to be driving along, and next thing you know, I'm going to get sucked up, and my car's going to crash. Or the, some of the pilots who are good Christians are going to get sucked up, and the planes are going to crash. That was Tim LaHaye's idea. So Mike Huckabee uh, on Fox News is going to give him a forum to say even crazier things and totally encourage him. So let's watch. Dr. LaHaye, I want to begin by asking, do you see some similarities between the Jimmy Carter era and what's happening now that was the basis for the moral majority being formed? Very definitely, because Jimmy Carter didn't seem to know what was going on or what to do to solve the problem. Our present president doesn't seem to get it. He doesn't understand that some of the things he's introducing that many of us call raw socialism. Uh, it's a different name, but uh, it's essentially government control and government domination of everything. And he, he sees that as a panacea, but instead it's going to work against our country and bring us closer to the apocalypse. Are we now living in the end times from your perspective? Very definitely, Governor. Uh, very definitely, of course, obviously. Um, it's not very definite at all. In fact, uh, Tim LaHaye, I'll bet you a million dollars you die before Jesus comes. You want to take that bet? If you want, I'll bet you a billion dollars. I don't want Tim LaHaye to die. I, th I want him to live a good, healthy life. I hope he dies at the age of 200, <laughs> uh, outpaces everyone else. And Jesus still won't come before then. You want to take me on? Look, you'll be alive, right? Because we're living in the end times. So you'll be alive and you'll get to collect, let's make it reasonable, a million dollars, okay? We'll have to shut down the whole uh, operation to pay you. Oh, you're not going to take that bet. Huh, interesting. Because Jesus ain't going to come, you because we aren't in the end times, it's your cuckoo fantasies, okay? But listen to what he said, because what he said is really dangerous. Is, uh, are we closer to the apocalypse because of Obama? Oh, most certainly. Most certainly. Now, what does that tell your crazy Fox News audience? If you tell them that this guy's going to start the apocalypse, do you think that might encourage them to maybe try to stop him? I mean, how much more can you incite people? Are they inciting them to violence? Obviously. Now, but there's an extra twist and an irony here. Because don't these guys want the apocalypse? <laughs> they told Bush, don't, don't make, make uh, peace in the Middle East, because we want to get closer to Armageddon. Then that's when Jesus returns. So ironically, they're the ones who actually want to get close to the apocalypse. They think it's a fantastic thing. So under Tim LaHaye's original logic, shouldn't he welcome Obama? Oh, fantastic. He's here. Jesus is around the corner. These guys are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. The problem is they're going to get some of their stupid followers to do something insane. Like that Byron Williams guy the other day who shot up a bunch of cops because Glenn Beck told him the Tides Foundation was evil and was the cause of all of our problems and he was going to go shoot everybody at the Tides Foundation. Now, if you thought that was bad, now the whole audience thinks, oh no, uh, Obama's going to cause the end of the world. I've got to do something to stop that. And Glenn Beck calls him a Nazi every other day. Put two and two together, and you're going to get something very, very dangerous. And of course, one last thing, he adds that little thing about, oh yeah, Obama's a socialist. No, 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 big business. That's what Jesus wants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you nailed it, man. You figured out that Bible really well. You read it through and through and thought, no, we shouldn't help poor people at all. And if the president tries to do that, well, he's nothing but a socialist. 
big business all the way. I think that's what Jesus wrote the Bible for. That was on, on the Temple Mount. He talk, gave a speech on pro-corporations, right? You charlatans, you posers, you do this for money, you get people all riled up, and you work them up, and you brainwash them, you're sick. Hi, Jay. This is Nick from Portland, Oregon. I'm listening to the global warming episode today, and there's a lot of argument from the right about, uh, well, A, uh, global warming isn't our fault as humans, as a species, and B, um, it isn't even scientifically proven to be um, a reality yet. But here is, as in as brief as possible a manner, is, best of the response as I've heard, which is, number one, if you see a little girl playing out in the street and there's a car speeding towards her, do you worry about if she's your daughter or not before you try to save her? You know, just standing there and not doing anything because that's not your daughter is immoral. And I mean, there's all, that's the thing is this really isn't a scientific argument anymore. You know, even if you're denying global warming, you're... <laughs> You're somehow aware that it that it exists. If you're denying it, then it's there. You know, it's present and real for everybody. So, I mean, just being aware of it is a reason to try to do something about it. Even if, and this is number two, even if it's not our fault, uh, or that's number one. Even if, um, even if it isn't, even if it isn't really a reality. Just because it could be a reality, we should be doing something about it. That's a moral issue. It's not a scientific issue. The fact that you don't have absolute proof that the girl is going to be hit by the car doesn't mean you wait to, until you have absolute proof. Because if you wait until you have absolute proof, she's going to die. That's going to be your proof. Thanks very much. Great show. Hey, Jay, this is Ryan from Las Vegas. I just want to let you know I really appreciate your show devoted to uh, you know, denouncing religious bigotry. Uh, at the end of it, however, you gave voice to a woman that complimented you for the same thing, but you know, kind of then went on to bash all religions, generalizing that religion is a negative influence and hurts people. Uh, I just want to say, religion doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. Um, also notice that she started off her generalizations by saying, I believe, three times. Um, isn't religion what people believe? Um, I think you do a great job on the show, but your caller kind of pissed me off. Uh, Thanks for everything. Keep it up. Hi, Jay. This is Michael from Glen Burnie. I just wanted to call and comment on the, on the, the show about marijuana. Um, I just first wanted to, to say on the overall subject of uh, legalizing marijuana, I definitely agree that it, uh, that it makes the most sense. And I, uh, in fact, had gone on CNN's website at one point last week, saw an article by uh, Ruben Navarrete, who uh, was was making all the arguments that we shouldn't legalize it and that it was you know bad and and pretty much universally the comments were all against him uh, and pretty much half of those comments were people going holy crap we're all against him what's that about 
So I, I definitely think that seems to be the common sense position. Uh, but also, I mainly just wanted to call and comment on uh, the one the one caller who uh, was was talking about electronic voting devices, and you mentioned sending emails to different shows to have them cover that. Um, I just kind of would like to to put my two cents in and say that on top of that, I think it might make sense to to talk about just the election reform in general because I think the system we have just kind of lends itself to having bought out representatives. Um, and, and I think I think I remember hearing the Young Turks talk about it a couple of times, but it's just about public elections, things like that. be interesting to hear discussions on that, too. So uh, that's, that's just my two cents. Uh, thanks for everything you do. Take care. Hey, Jay, it's Ron from Pittsburgh. Huge fan of the podcast have to thank you for putting out there what you do and and turning me and other people on to other podcasts that wouldn't have known about if it weren't for you. Uh, to quote The Simpsons, best podcast ever. Especially like the clever way you use the music between the segments to really bring the point home. But what I really wanted to say was, as a gay man uh, of a certain age, uh, I, I really, really, really have to thank you for the gay rights episodes that you put together, um, the things that you say, I guess say isn't the right word, the things that you put out there for us to hear, uh, really is gratifying coming from what we call a straight ally. You know, we need people like you to help us along. The civil rights movement was not accomplished only by black people, but it was by the white allies that they had to help fight their fight and and you know the gay community owes you a great debt of thanks for all the things you do for us and for the progressive movement as well love the show jay thanks again jay my name is eric i'm calling from vermont just wanted to thank you for your podcast uh a friend of mine and I were talking about Rachel Maddow, and he turned me on to your show, which I am now a member. I pay my $5 a month, which is I enjoy doing because I appreciate your work, and uh, keep up the good work. Hi, my name is Earl, and I'm from Conway, New Hampshire, and I love your show. I think you do a great job with it, and I really appreciate the effort you put into it. Um, but I did want to call up and just say that the logo that you used to represent your most recent episode, um, the one on religious tolerance, I just, I don't know, I, I take issue with it. Uh, religious tolerance, anti-terrorism that works is what the logo itself says. And to me, I don't know, it, it just isn't the solution. Um, Recently, in a Muslim or a, yeah, a, a Muslim nation, they stoned a woman, uh, or they're going to, anyways, um, for adultery. And I just don't think that tolerating that is a good thing to advocate. Um, I'm not going to single Islam out because Christianity. I mean, in this country, people oppose abortion and gay marriage based on Christian principles. So I just wanted to call up and say that religious tolerance, to me certainly isn't the solution uh, but I do appreciate everything you do and I look forward to your next episode 
Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called in to leave a voicemail. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And boy, I, I maybe you noticed I put in a few more messages today than usual. I'm trying to get caught up, actually. I have more messages than I have time to play. So if, uh, if, if you do want to call in, Please do your best to keep your message short. That just it helps me get more messages in. Uh, it, it also, frankly, increases your chances of getting your message on the show. If it's too long, I may have to edit it down, or I, I'll just you know pass it up because I just don't have time for it. It seemed very fitting today. We had a couple of great callers with comments on religion. And of course, today's show was all about religion, so it's a perfect opportunity to play those and uh, and then comment on them as well. Uh, Ryan from Las Vegas, I wanted to respond to, uh, who called in, talking about how, you know, religion's not the problem, people are the problem, and then in particular wanted to, uh, to respond to the idea that another caller had put out saying that she believes religion is the problem and... Well, if she believes that some people believe religion is the answer or, you know, something similar to that, um, then then that sort of then they would cancel each other out. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, like, speak for him, but there's basically the idea he was getting across like, well, she believes one thing. Other people believe another. So the implication, the way I understood it was something along the lines of, well, maybe that's hypocritical then to have your own beliefs that put down other people's beliefs. And so my response to that, although I kind of see where he's coming from, I would side on on the idea that not all beliefs are created equal. Some beliefs are right, some beliefs are wrong, and some beliefs are up for grabs. Uh, you know, religion generally falls into that category of things that's up for grabs. I fall on the side of, you know, show me something about religion and I'll, and I'll show you something that's probably just flat out factually incorrect. Uh, it's based on a belief system written hundreds of years ago before we understood how science worked. You know, it's uh, it's built on faith, which some people need and appreciate in their own lives, but it doesn't mean it's built on anything that actually deserves the reverence that it's given. But now this leads right into the call from Earl, uh, Earl from New Hampshire, who called in uh, referring to the religious tolerances, uh, anti-terrorism that works. And, and so, and then he brought up, you know, stonings and things like that. And I think that that is unfairly conflating religion in general with religious extremism that leads to, you know, torture and human, human rights abuses. And so I certainly do not condone the unfair conflation of those things. So you can break it down actually all pretty easily. And this is all just from my point of view. Uh, ask me about religion of any kind, all of them, I treat them basically fairly, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, ask me about that, I'm probably going to be against it. I, I think it's wrong, not morally wrong, just wrong, wrong, just like factually wrong. <laughs> so I'm not going to believe in that. I'm going to be generally on the side of, should we have it or should we not have it? Well, is it true? No. All right. Well, if it's not true, I'm kind of in favor of not uh, not being a part of that. Now ask me a religious person, an individual, Christian, Muslim, Jew, uh, based on their belief system, should we discriminate against them? Should we not let them build the uh, you know temple that they want to worship in uh, wherever they want? Uh, well, no, you, we shouldn't discriminate against people based on their beliefs. 
as long as they're not hurting anyone else, as long as they're not using those beliefs to uh, keep other groups of society down, using those uh, beliefs to dictate laws that impact other people negatively, I say, let them go. Let them do whatever they want. Perfectly fine. And then finally, that actually kind of leads right into, okay, so religious people make their decisions based on their religion. A woman is uh, found guilty of adultery. Should they be stoned to death? And, well, based on their religion, and if you're advocating religious tolerance, should we tolerate that? Well, no, we shouldn't because... Uh, and this actually leads into a completely different conversation about how, well, I'm anti-death penalty. And so I'm not really in favor of anybody being killed for anything they do. But then, of course, something like adultery, if it weren't so horrific, it would be absolutely laughable to think that we should put someone to death, whether it be in the most humane way possible or by burying them up to their neck and throwing rocks at their heads until they die. You know, it, it, it's ridiculous to think that that's the appropriate response to adultery. So yeah, you don't tolerate that. You tolerate religion when it's not having a negative impact on uh, other people, and you don't tolerate it when it does have a negative impact on other people. Seems fairly clear to me. If I missed any points, I certainly welcome you guys to call in and uh, correct anything I said. Uh, and and I love anyone who disagrees and like gets irritated at things that are said, uh, and you want to express your contrary beliefs, absolutely give us a call, 206-202-3410. Now I just want to thank Dan J, who signed up for a monthly membership back on August 4th to help keep the show going, and Eric S, who signed up for a membership just on October 14th, but went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance, and went a little bit above and beyond the standard membership level just to help the show a little bit more. So huge thanks to Dan and Eric and all the members who make the show possible. Of course, everyone can support the show by telling everyone you know about it. Stay tuned into the show between episodes and spread the word online by visiting us on Facebook and Twitter. Find out details to the show, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode by going to the show notes in the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right.